Hello, friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com. Before we take you to your favorite Sports History Network show, just want to tell you a little bit about some merch that you can pick up that represents your favorite SHN podcast. So far, there's t-shirts, coffee mugs, and even books from some of the authors that do podcasts right here on SHN. Who could buy something better than that than have the history right from the, the gentleman that you hear talking about it? But we also are adding things each and every day. And where's that store, may you ask? Well, it's at SportsHistoryNetwork.com. Up at the top, there is the SHN. HN merch button. Click on that. It'll take you right to the store and you can be representing your favorite podcast and show the world that, hey, on the swag that I'm using, it's the headquarters of sports yesteryear, Sports History Network, and my favorite podcaster, the Sports History Network store. Shop there today. It's time for Lombardi Memories, a show that takes you back in time, into January or February, to the greatest one-day spectacle in all of sports. This is the Every Other Tuesday podcast that looks back at each and every one of the 50-plus Super Bowls and tells the story of who won and why. For the fan who needs more than just a box score, this podcast goes drive-by-drive, play-by-play through the most dramatic games in history. I'm your host, Tommy A. Phillips. And you can visit my website at TommyAPhillips.com where you can find all of my books. Those include Nifty 90s, the stories of an amazing decade in pro football history, which covers this ninth Super Bowl of the decade and the next one as well. Today we have Super Bowl 33, which was held on January 31st, 1999 at Pro Players Stadium in Miami between the six-time AFC champion and defending Super Bowl champion Denver Broncos and the Dirty Birds of Atlanta, the first-time NFC champion Falcons. If you're looking for the full story of this 1998 season, pick up my Nifty 90s book, and you'll learn more than you ever wanted to know about that year and the rest of the 90s. As always, we have a pop quiz and then homework at the end of the episode. The pop quiz question for today is, what Super Bowl record did Denver defensive back Darian Gordon set in this game? The answer will come at the end of the podcast. The Denver Broncos, helmed by head coach Mike Sanahan, weren't just the defending world champions. They had all the players back from the previous year, and all the places in place to make another run. Quarterback John Elway no longer required to put the team on his back. Instead, he just handed off the running back Terrell Davis and made him do all the work. Davis rushed for over 2,000 yards in 1998 as the Broncos won their first 13 games of the season. The New York Giants stunned them in Week 15, but they finished 14-2 and with the number one seed in the AFC. Davis was named league MVP with his 2008 yards rushing and 21 rushing touchdowns, along with 25 catches for 217 more yards and two receiving touchdowns. Not only that, all of that, but his running opened things up for Elway and receivers. Elway threw for over 2,800 yards and 22 touchdowns, even while missing part of the year with an injury. Bubby Brister 
filled in admirably in Elway's absence. The Broncos had two 1,000-yard receivers in Rod Smith and Ed McCaffrey, and tight end Shannon Sarp had over 750 yards. Those three combined for 26 touchdown catches. This team was absolutely stacked, with defensive back Darian Gordon leading in interceptions with four, and five players with at least four sacks. After 38-3 and 23-10 playoff wins over the Dolphins and Jets, respectively, it was easy to see why the Bronx were 7.5-point favorites going into the Super Bowl. The Atlanta Falcons also finished 14-2, but they were were viewed entirely different from the Broncos. Why? Because they had a soft schedule. They, They weren't the number one seed. The number one seed was Minnesota. And their run to the Super Bowl was really a whole bunch of smoke and mirrors. Journeyman's starting quarterback, Chris Chandler, who'd been playing in the league since 1988, was on his sixth career team. So here's the teams he played for. Okay, get this. He played for Indianapolis, Tampa Bay, Phoenix, the Rams, and Houston. None of those teams were any good in the years he led them. Sure, he threw for over 3,100 yards and 25 touchdowns in 1998, but could he be trusted to win a Super Bowl? The Falcons ran through running back Jamal Anderson because he rushed for over 1,800 yards, 14 touchdowns, and he popularized the Dirty Bird dance that he and his teammates did after touchdowns. Even head coach Dan Reeves did the dance after the team's 30-27 win over the Vikings in the NFC Championship game in Minnesota. The Falcons barely survived San Francisco 20-18 in their divisional round game before nearly losing to the Vikings. The Vikes had a field goal attempt to push their 27-20 lead to 10 late in the fourth quarter. Kicker Gary Anderson, who hadn't missed all season, missed this one, and Atlanta came back and tied it, then won in overtime. Falcons got lucky on their way to the Super Bowl, and it was highly unlikely that they could beat Denver, even with a pair of 1,000-yard receivers in Tony Martin and Terrence Mathis. A big story was what happened the night before the Super Bowl. Falcons defensive back Eugene Robinson was arrested for soliciting a prostitute. This giant distraction to the game would really come back to haunt Atlanta. The Falcons won the toss and chose to receive. Receiver Tim Dwight returned the opening kickoff to the 37. On his first carry, Jamal Anderson ran for a first down to the midfield strike. Three plays later, Denver defensive back Ray Crockett was called for a 25-yard pass interference penalty. Actually, referee Bernie Kukar gave the wrong number, saying it was Steve Atwater, but John Madden and Pat Summerall could easily see that it was Crockett. Anderson ran a couple more times for nine more yards, and then Chandler used a sneak to get a first down. The Atlanta drive came to an end, though, whenever 
linebacker Bill Romanowski of the Broncos made a third down sack of Chandler on a big blitz. The Falcons settled for a 32-yard Borden Anderson field goal to go up 3-0. The Broncos responded in kind. Elway threw a second down pass to Sharp for a first down over the middle. A few plays later, he found Rod Smith, who broke a tackle and made it 41 yards. Two plays later, Elway hit Sharp again down at the goal line, but Sharp was injured on the play. Fullback Howard Griffith pounded it in for a touchdown and a 7-3 Denver lead. The Falcons went three and out and punted. That would be their only punt of the game. Elway then threw a third down interception after the ball went out of Sharp's hands and into the arms of defensive back Ronnie Bradford. Sharp was clearly ailing at the time, so the decision was made to sit him the rest of the way. Meanwhile, the Falcons couldn't get a first down, and on fourth down, they Excused the field goal attempt and instead went for a first down, much to John Madden's chagrin. Jamal Anderson was stuffed on fourth and one by defensive tackle Keith Trailer, and the Broncos kept their 7-3 lead as the second quarter got underway. L.A. started the new drive with a pass to receiver Byron Chamberlain for a first down. Davis took a pitch past the midfield stripe. Then L.A. completed to Smith for another first down. Davis took a carry and he hurled right over a defender all the way down to the 14-yard line. Another first down. But the Broncos had to settle for a 26-yard field goal from Jason Elam their kicker, and they went up 10-3. The Falcons went back downfield, starting with a Chandler pass to Mathis for 17 yards. Chandler went right back to Mathis, found him for another first down, got to the Denver 26, a gain of about uh, 33 yards. Anderson caught one for 9 yards, then he ran for the first down, and then he got another 8 yards, but then the Falcons could not pick up this first down. This time, so um, instead of going for it on fourth and one again, Dan Reeves decided to kick it. So the incredibly reliable Morton Anderson came in and made the 26-yard field goal to make it 10 to... Wait, what? He didn't make it. He pushed it wide to the right. And that was the moment the game was over for Atlanta because the Broncos would put it away on the very next play. Elway launched one downfield for Rod Smith, who was being followed by Robinson. Smith went 80 yards to the end zone easily, and the Broncos took a 17-3 lead. Also, Fox, who was broadcasting this Super Bowl, came out of the commercial late, and the play had already started by the time Fox got back to the broadcast. We almost didn't get back in time, Summerall said. Atlanta didn't get back in time. And the Broncos now had a 14-point lead. The credit of the Falcons, they held on until half halftime. Dwight returned the kickoff into Denver territory. Chandler found Martin for a first down on the right sideline. 
Then he scrambled for another first down of the 16. It was a costly first down, though. Center Robbie Tobeck was injured and had to leave the game. The Falcons settled for a 28-yard Anderson field goal, with which this time he did make to cut the deficit to 11. The Broncos had one last chance to score before the half. Davis ran for 15 yards, and Elway threw passes to Chamberlain and Smith with timeouts after each catch. Elway then went long down the left sideline to Griffith, who almost caught the pass in the end zone, but it wouldn't have mattered because there was a holding penalty that pushed Denver out of field goal range, so they were forced to punt. After nearly getting sacked for a safety, Chandler and the Falcons ran out the clock. They went down. Uh, they went to the half down 17-6. The Broncos started out the second half with the ball. Elway threw to McCaffrey for a first down. Then he went to Davis on another pass. He'd find Griffith on a pass before Griffith pounded for a first down on third and one. Next, Elway hit McCaffrey again for a first down at the 18. The game might have gotten away if linebacker Cornelius Bennett had not sacked Elway on a bootleg. That forced the Broncos to try a 38-yard field goal, and Elam pushed it wide to the right. Linebacker John Mobley sacked Chandler, and then Chandler threw a pick to defensive back Darius Johnson. He returned it to the Atlanta 41. Davis ran for about 10 yards, but the Broncos couldn't get a first down after that. So Elway had an incompletion for, intended for McCaffrey on third down that marked the 146th pass attempt of his Super Bowl career that was the most in Super Bowl history. But then Jason Elam then missed another field goal, this one from 48 yards away, wide to the left. The Falcons moved the ball quickly into field goal range. Anderson ran off left tackle past midfield field for a first down. Chandler hit Mathis for a first down on the right side. Anderson then ran it down to the 21. It looked like the Falcons might be able to make a comeback, but that all ended on the next play. Chandler had his pass deflected and intercepted by Darian Gordon, who returned it all the way to the Atlanta 25. Five plays later, the Broncos would end any Atlanta hopes. Elway found McCaffrey for a first down at the five, and Griffith pounded in for a second touchdown of the game from one yard out. The Broncos led 24-6 as the fourth quarter had just gotten underway. Chandler desperately tried moving the Falcons downfield, and he completed a pass to tight end O.J. Santiago for a first down, followed by a run by Anderson for a first down to Denver 43, and another pass to Martin for another first down. But then on the next play, Gordon struck again. He picked off another Atlanta pass and returned it to the Falcons 48. Elway put the cherry on top on this drive, throwing a short pass to Davis, who ran down the left sideline on a checkdown play and made it all the way down to the 10. Shortly afterward, Elway scored on a quarterback draw. 
and the Broncos now led 31-6. The game wasn't over yet, though, because Tim Dwight returned the ensuing kickoff 94 yards for a touchdown, making it 31-12. Summerall mentioned that the Falcons should go for two in this situation. It would have made sense, as it could have made it a 17-point game, Instead, Anderson kicked the extra point, and the Falcons now trailed 31-13. The Broncos got called for a penalty for an altercation on the extra point, allowing Atlanta to kick off from the 45. They chose the onside kick, but Chamberlain recovered it easily for Denver. After a couple of Davis runs, Elway found McCaffrey open over the middle, and he got a first down at the 22. Later, Elam got a small amount of redemption by making a 37-yard field goal with seven minutes to go to give Denver a 21-point lead. Now the Falcons came downfield in garbage time. Chandler found Mathis for a pair of first downs, including one on fourth down. Eventually, Chandler hit Mathis for a touchdown, making it a 15-point game, with just over two minutes to play. Surprisingly, Reeves went for two after this touchdown rather than the last one. Chandler threw the ball over Martin's head, and the incompletion kept the score at 34-19. Chamberlain recovered another onside kick, and now the Broncos tried to run out the clock. On fourth and three, Elway was given the green light to throw one final pass in the NFL. It fell incomplete, but it didn't matter. Broncos defensive back Tyrone Braxton helped get a fumble from Anderson on the Falcons' final drive, and that was it. The Broncos have won their second Super Bowl in a row, 34-19. Funny story about this Super Bowl. I went to a Super Bowl party at church. They were holding a laser tag event while the game was going on. Because the game was so out of reach and because there were so many other things for people to do, by the fourth quarter, I was the only person still watching the game, sitting on a metal folding chair in the midst of a hundred empty ones. I was all out cheering for the Falcons because at the time I hated that way. Now, now I love him, but at the time I hated him. And... People came over to me. They had to come over and comfort me about how the game was going. But I was that de- I was that dedicated and devoted to football that I was the only person who watched that game from start to finish. At the time, it made me look weird, but now I wear that as a badge of honor as the most diehard NFL fan around. This was John Elway's final game in the NFL. And he went out on top, back-to-back Super Bowl wins, and this time a Super Bowl MVP for his 336 yards and one passing touchdown to go with one rushing touchdown. I don't really need to argue about this one. That was the right pick. Second best player was Gordon, who returned two interceptions for 108 yards. That is the pop quiz question for today, the answer. Gordon's 108 interception return yards were the most in Super Bowl history in a single game, as well as in a single career at the time of this game. The Broncos and Falcons were either scoring 
turning the ball over, or missing field goals so often that each team only punted once. The two combined punts were the least in Super Bowl history. Likewise, the seven combined field goal attempts tied a Super Bowl record. The MVP of this losing Falcons team was Tim Dwight. He had three big kickoff returns, including one for a touchdown. If not for him, the Falcons may not have scored more than three or six points in this game. The Falcons really played poorly, but none worse than Robinson. He is the least valuable player, LVP, of this game for giving up an 80-yard touchdown pass after all the distractions from his arrest the previous night. He was a Packer, and while I support my Packers, this was a dreadful weekend by him on all accounts. The player not remembered is fullback Howard Griffith. He was a great bruising fullback who opened up holes for Davis. Griffith finally got the score touch on this Super Bowl, and then he got a second one for good measure. Griffith's role doesn't really exist for many teams in today's NFL. He deserved to get more time in the spotlight. Now, the biggest play, kind of obvious, it was Elway's 80-yard touchdown pass to Smith coming right after Anderson's chip shot miss. That was a 10-point swing right there, and who knows what happens if it goes the other way. As for the biggest play not remembered, I have to go with the Falcons' failed 4th and 1 deep in Denver territory at the start of the second quarter. If they get that, perhaps they go up 10-7 or at least decrease their deficit to one point. But by getting stopped by trailer, the Falcons never have that chance and they are never able to get closer to taking the lead again. For this week, homework is simple. Go with Elway, A Relentless Life by Jason Cole. It was just released back in the September of 2020, so it's a relatively new book. It's gotten great ratings from a lot of people, so you can't go wrong with this book about this NFL legend. Next week, we will see the American underdog, Kurt Warner, and his greatest show on turf, the St. Louis Rams, take on the wildcard Tennessee Titans in Super Bowl 34 after the most bizarre season in NFL history. 1999 was about as crazy as those fears that the world would come to an end thanks to Y2K. This one was a doozy. I have a bunch of books over at my website, TommyAPhillips.com, that I'd love you to check out. Read about the 80s or the 90s in the NFL, or find out about all of Penn State's bowl games. You can even read up on golf or anime conventions. That's right, my newest book is The Introvert's Guide to Anime Conventions. Again, that's TommyAPhillips.com. Until next time, this is Tommy A. Phillips, signing off. So long.
Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Each week, the official Football Learning Academy podcast will take you deep into the history of pro football through interviews with players, coaches, or administrators in the NFL, as well as interviews with Pro Football Hall of Fame selectors, authors, and historians. You'll learn how the game evolved and important moments that shaped the sport into what it is today. And don't miss the Pro Football History Nugget of the Week. Listen to the official Football Learning Academy podcast on the Sports History Network. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.